All right, we are on page 85 in your uh, notebook, and I was not here last week. Um, I was filling in for Pastor Gabe in his class, and you guys started on this topic of sovereignty, right? So I, I want to review that a little bit. Quick, I always like definitions, right? And this is a simple one. God's exercise of power over his creation. That's from Grudem. Pretty simple. God's exercise of power over his creation. And what you all discussed last week, I just want to hit the highlights. God has absolute sovereign dominion over his creation to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatever he desires to do. Absolute sovereign dominion. Two, God, as king of the universe, is due from angels and men and every other creature, whatever worship, service, or obedience, he is pleased to require of them. So he has absolute dominion, and that dominion requires worship from his creation. Number three, it pleased the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, beauty, and goodness in the beginning to create the universe out of nothing. We have studied before, God does not need creation, yet it pleased him to manifest his glory in creation. Absolutely dominion, requires worship, and yet all of us being here today is simply because it brings pleasure and joy to him, and it manifests his glory. All right, that's exciting stuff. <clears throat> so the question you guys covered last week, and I, I want to see if you guys can tell me back um, uh, the interpretation. How can God be sovereign if man has a will? So we're going to spend a lot of today talking about that complex intersection, if you will, between God's sovereignty and yet man has a choice. Right? Man has a choice within that context. How did you guys answer that though? How can God be sovereign if man has a will? Even man's will is under the control of God, and um, whatever our will is, He does the plan all along. Okay. Anybody else want to add to that? This is a this is a complex issue, guys. Um, so it's okay. But any Grace, did you have something you want to add to that? Yeah. There's also the man's will is limited by sin, even. Even will which we are, you know, in rebellion against God, it's still not free will. We're slaves to sin. So, and so we can make choices within the the relative context of our disposition, if you will. Right? If we are slaves to sin, yes, we have freedom, but it will be in the context of that sinful nature. Contrast is true as believers. Right? We, we have choices to make. Now, added to that complex is we still have sinful attributes, if you will, and yet we are no longer a slave to sin. And we have freedom to make choices that um, please the Lord. Kareem, you were going to add something? Well, it's not really my words. I took notes from what Pastor Allen said. Yeah. Um, that our will is encapsulated within God's will. Yes. And we have delegated authority that's ultimately within the boundaries of God's sovereign will. And subject to him. Yep. So we're gonna we're gonna look more today about this idea of um, how we are making choices, but it is all bounded in the context of the sovereignty of God, right? Of His will. We're gonna talk, and you've probably talked about these terms already, but when we talk about His will, His sovereign will, that that has been declared, right? Where do we see what's declared when when a prophecy is made and it comes true? When God says this will happen and it happens, basically history up to this point in time is God's declared will, right? He has a plan of redemption. He has a plan and we know what that looks like when we study revelations, what will happen in the end. But up until this point, it has all been declared, right? And we often term that his sovereign will. We also talk about his revealed will or, or his moral will. Where do we find that? In the word, in scripture. Right? So we can disobey, we have choices to make about his revealed will, but his declared will has, we, we play no part in making that happen or not. Right? That will happen because it's God. Right? Does that make sense? We're going to talk more about that. You'll see those terms as we go through this. Let me read something um, on this idea of, of God's sovereignty and man's will from Pink. I've mentioned this book before on the attributes of God. 
in his pair or his chapter on sovereignty, I thought was was really good. Rightly did the late Mr. Spurgeon say in his sermon on Matthew 20, there is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most advanced circumstances, adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. On the other hand, there is no doctrine more hated by worldlings, no truth of which they have made such a football as the great, stupendous, but yet most certain doctrine of the sovereignty of the infinite Jehovah. Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. Let me read that again. Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be his workmanship, to fashion worlds and make stars. They will allow him to be in his almonry, to dispense his alms and bestow his bounties. They will allow him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof or light the lamps of heaven, or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends his throne, his creatures then gnash their teeth, and we proclaim and enthrone God, and his right to do so as he wills with his own, to dispose of his creature as he thinks well, without consulting them in the matter. Then it is that we are hissed and execrated. And then it is that men turn a deaf ear to us, for God on his throne is not the God they love. But it is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon his throne whom we trust. Do you see that contrast there? Right? The world loves to say, look at all that God created. And yet, I get to make the choice. Right? Why didn't God consult me when that circumstance had it? You, you see that contrast vividly. And we're going to talk more about that today. But I thought that was a good uh, depiction. All right, um, any other questions about what you might have covered last week and, and this idea of this tension? Again, we're going to talk a lot about it, so if you just want to turn your page to page 86, we'll jump in on continuing this idea of God's sovereignty. And this first paragraph is packed with a lot of stuff, and so we need to unpack it. God, from all eternity, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, number one, freely and unchangeably decreed whatsoever comes to pass for his own glory. That's his sovereign will. Again, unchangeably. We talked about God being immutable, right? Unchanging in his purpose. So that's the first part of that. Freely and unchangeably decreed whatsoever comes to pass for his own glory. Not for our purposes, for his own glory. Yet, notwithstanding this, neither is God the author of sin nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures. So take a look at what's in the parentheses there. His absolute sovereignty does not nullify the fact that man has a will by which he chooses to sin and will be accountable for that sin before God. Nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away. What that saying is, you know, the cause and effect. God does something, a cause, and there's an effect to that. Back to that description of we work within the boundary of that. We, we still have a capacity to reason, to make choices that also have a cause and effect. And what we're going to see is this, this paradox, if you will, of God uses that to still bring about his declared will, his sovereign will. That's just fascinating, and it's hard to understand, all right? But that's the truth. So that's the, the tension that we're seeing here. But rather, uh, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. God's sovereignty, the underlying first cause, doesn't mean that man's choices or second causes don't matter. Rather, man wouldn't be able to choose if God hadn't given him the ability to do so. And man's choices don't limit God in any way. Again, we were made in God's image. We were made to be able to reason. We were made to make choices. And those have consequences, cause and effect. But again, that falls within the boundaries of the greater God's sovereignty. All right, and we'll see that flush itself out as we work through some of these verses. 
Okay. All right. So let's uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, verse 8. You're all familiar with this story, but let me read it. Picking up in verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So you remember the story, right? Um, a promise to Abraham through Sarah, and it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening. So she says, hey, lay with my, you know, lie with my maid, right? And they had a son, Ishmael. And, and yet you see that God says, no, the seed's not going to come. My blessing, my promise is not going to come through Ishmael, right? It's going to come through Isaac. And yet the Lord still blesses Ishmael. So you see both God's sovereign will taking place. And yet what did Abraham do, right? He, he sinned. He disobeyed God's revealed will, his moral will. So you see in this effect, again, this boundary of God has declared something that is going to happen, and yet Abraham is functioning with Sarah, and he sins. There's a cause, there's an effect of that, and yet God still carries out his declared will. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good example of, of those complexities working together. Good. All right, the next verse. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance... When he separated the sons of men, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. What part of that passage gets after you know, the sovereignty or the declared will of God? You just shout it out. Set the boundaries? Set the boundaries, yeah. Gave the nations their inheritance, right? That is all God's declared will. Good. All right, let's jump down to Psalm 139. I love Psalm 139. Um, Bob, would you mind reading that passage, 139.16? Uh, thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Boy, really meditate on that. From eternity past, our days were numbered. Our, our good works were prepared ahead of time. Just absolutely, absolutely wonderful. It goes on in Psalm 139, um, search me, test me, see if there be any grievous way in me. Again, as humans, right, having to make choices, Lord, show me the grievous way in me so that I can obey your revealed will, right? Good. All right, let's jump down to the bold there. Miss Kareen, can you read Daniel 4, please? And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? All right, we see that a couple times throughout Scripture, right? God's declared will, and yet, and no one can ward off his hand. Nobody can sway his declared will. It is going to happen. So we see a couple examples of God's declared will. What about man's choice in all of this? So let's look at the next verse below that. Amani, would you read the next one? Uh, Matthew seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter it. Great. So there's an action here. Enter by the narrow gate, right? That's man's choice. Now we know um, in salvation. The ability to to um, be converted, right? It takes a regeneration of the Holy Spirit, but it is by faith. That faith comes from where? It comes from God, right? It is the gift that allows us to enter by the narrow gate. The next one. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. What's the action there? Belief. And again, we are given faith in order to believe. That is a gift from God. 
So again, you see God's actions and man's actions in this, uh, in this environment. All right, let's jump down to Acts 13. It's the second one from the bottom. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to, a, to eternal life believed. So you see both God and man there, right? As many as had been appointed, that's from God. That's God's sovereign will to eternal life believed, right? That's the choice that man is making. And the next verse. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. So this is Paul, right? He was set apart by God, and yet here he is acting out in um, the call that he has to preach, in obedience. So again, God and man. The top of the page, 87. Diane, can you read Ephesians 1, please? Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Right, so predestined, the counsel of his will. Those are God's. The next verse, and if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. What's the responsibility there? Of man. Conduct yourselves in fear. There's an action, right, to now obey what you hear in God's word, his revealed will. Well, I think it also starts with an action. If you address as a father, so if you call God your father, then... Great point. Yes. Yes. Good. All right. On to the next point there. God works all things together for good to those who love him. So, so yes, you see God is sovereign over everything that's happening in the earth. But what is he doing, right? All, it's it's all going to be for good to those who believe in him, right? Who call him Father. God works all things together for good to those who love him. He has a plan that will glorify his name and bring blessing to his elect. So bring blessing to the elect, but to what end? To glorify him, right? It's not about us. It's all about glorifying God. I think that's where a lot of people get stuck on the working all things for good. Mm-hmm. It's about conformity to Christ's image and not having things the way we're hoping that they're going to turn out. You're absolutely right, Diane. And we're going to talk about that when we get to the, the application piece. Uh, so hold that thought. That's exactly, exactly right. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So this is uh, from Jeremiah. They, uh, the nation, uh, actually it was Judah now, was in captivity in Babylon, right? So they probably had no hope at this point. And he was reminding them of the promises of God's declared will. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All right, that's a, a verse, Romans 8, that we should all memorize. But to Diane's point, we have to make sure we keep it in the context of the ultimate purpose. He works all things together for our good, but to, for his glory, always for his glory. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. So I love the combinations of Roman 8, the, the bold verse we just read, combining that with the last part of what I just read in Romans 11. And we touched on that a couple of weeks ago. That really keeps it all in perspective, doesn't it? For from him and through him and to him are all things. That's the ultimate purpose. Now, it's um, all capital letters, which means that's being referenced from from somewhere else, the Old Testament. Do you guys know where that comes from? It's a little bit from Isaiah, from Job. All right, we see repeatedly this idea of of how can we know, you know, who are we? How can we know the mind of Christ? How are we to, who are we to challenge God? Right? So you see that repeatedly. 
The last verse there also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. When you read these these several passages that we just read in this last little section, what, what is what does that do for you? I'm kind of leading you here. I am looking for a certain answer, but do you feel down? Do you feel encouraged? Do you, what, what do you feel when you when you hear that? Encouragement. Encouragement, absolutely, and a great sense of hope that no matter what our circumstances are at the time, God has a plan for our good and His glory. That should give us great hope as internally or for ourselves, but also as we counsel others, as we come alongside others, right? Incredible hope and encouragement. So again, I always tell my kids, when you see verses like that, make sure you're underlining them, meditating, memorizing them. Um, these are just great words of encouragement. Good. And so they're, they're, yes? But when I read the old time pre, predestination, election, that time kind of feel like, what if I'm, what if I'm not, what if I'm not elected? That kind of thing. And then when the, so, so we have to talk about Jesus, but so, what if they not elected? It's a useless. Just elected that, that's kind of. Yeah, so um, it, it is not unusual for <coughs> believers to have periods where they feel doubt. Am I, am I truly a child of God? And yet we have verses, uh, especially Romans 8, I'll touch on a couple uh, during the baptism today that give us the assurance, right? It says in uh, Romans 8, 16, God's spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We are no longer condemned. Nothing can separate us from that love, right? And, and that's why going back to those verses as an encouragement um, is so helpful. So good, good point. Um, Yes, sorry. Um, I went ahead and I looked it up because I was curious. Yeah. According to um, the MacArthur Bible, it says that Romans 8.28 is a direct reference to Ezra 8.22. Okay, excellent. Thank so you. That's kind of neat because yeah. like, you don't really think that it's going to be Ezra. Like, yeah. We see it in like some of the more famous books of the Bible, and you got like Ezra over here going, hey! So, <laughs> right, great point. Thank you for looking that up. I appreciate it. All right, let's flip over to uh, page 88. And very similar, or, or in the context of sovereignty, is the idea of God's providence. And, and there's a lot of good material. This is where we'll spend most of our time um, peeling this back, if you will. So let me read the definition. Like I said, always good to understand the definition. And there's a lot packed into this idea of God's providence. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that one, he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. So he has an order, right? He has a plan, and he preserves that. So that's this idea of preservation. Number two, he, co he cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive property to cause them to act as they do. Uh, Pastor Gabe had a uh, sermon on this several, well, maybe a couple months ago on this divine concurrence. I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. But this is where we really get into this, this idea of God is, is moving out in order according to his plan, and yet we're involved and we have all these messy interactions. Just amazing how his plan continues even though we have this role that we play. It, it's, again, it's a bit of a mystery, but that is what concurrence, and we'll talk about that in a bit more detail. Um, and then number three, directs them to fulfill his purposes. So his government or his administration, right? How he is bringing this to bear. Um, again, in order through the church, through nations, etc. And I would highlight too, we've covered this before. We talked about our God is not, you know, uh, deism where he created all things and then he sat back and let it just all play out. Right? He is intimately involved in his plan and in our lives. Just fascinating. All right, so we talked about this idea of preservation, concurrence, and government. So let's go into each of those topics, starting with preservation. God keeps all created things existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. 
The continuance of the created order provides the basis for science. The laws of nature are dependable, ensuring that phenomena can be repeated predictably. So this idea of you know, uh, how we rotate around the sun, uh, gravity, the laws of physics and science, um, that, that is all put in order by God and it will be preserved according to his timeline. Now, does God have to act within those boundaries? We covered this, right? His independence. Absolutely not. He's totally separated from his creation, does not have to act within those laws. However, he did create that for our benefit and for his glory. So I just want to make sure we always keep that distinction. Sometimes we like or we're tempted to put God in the same limits that we have with time and space and, and physics. That's not how he operates. Grace. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's how you end up with Thomas Jefferson chopping out every single miracle in the Bible. And it's just like, <laughs> what is the point of the Bible if you cut out every, all the miracles? Like, yeah. Why? Yep, yep, good, good. All right, so we'll co uh, cover a couple uh, passages here. Hebrews 1. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his, the Father's glory, and the exact representation of his, the Father's nature, and upholds continually all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. But basically the bold there upholds all things by the word of his power. And I do love this passage, right? Because it talks about, you want to know God the Father? Jesus Christ is the exact representation. You want to know God the Father? Know Jesus Christ the Son. Um, going down to Colossians. For by him, again, Jesus, all things were created. Created, there was an order. Both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Right, This enduring property, all things are held together through Jesus. Moving down to 2 Peter 3. Grace, can you read that for me? Mm -hmm. for, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Good, thank you. So we know there, there's an end to this plan, and we see what's being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment. That will come, right? Pastor Rob is talking all about that in Revelations right now, but there's an order there's a, there's a preservation of his redemptive plan. Good. Uh, Miss Kareen, can you read Psalm 104 for me? You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to the dust. He has an order even for us, doesn't he, right? How long we will live and when we will die. All a part of his order. Okay, any questions on, on uh, preservation? Does that make sense? Right, so in God's providence, he has this element of preservation. All right, moving on to concurrence. And this is idea, again, of God fulfilling his declared will, his sovereign will, yet using, using us as um, certainly not omniscient people or omnipotent, right? Concurrence. God cooperates with created things in every action, directing and working through their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. Ephesians 1. In him, God, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So we have to talk about um, a couple of different aspects here, right? This idea of an inanimate creation. What, that's a big word. What does that mean? Inanimate. Not living. Right? What are some examples of, of creation not living? Okay, buildings, structure, mountains. Yeah. Lightning, rain, stars, wind. Right? All of that still part of his order and part of his redemptive plan. We see there in Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth. 
in the seas and all the deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his treasuries. Top of the next page, Psalm 104. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man, so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine which make man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart. So you, you can see again he's using the, these uh, inanimate um, objects or, or part of his creation all as intertwined in his divine will in, in our interaction with man good and bad, right? We, we see the effects of some of that. In Job, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear or the Big Dipper with its satellite? So again, someone mentioned the stars, right? We can navigate by it. The seasons are governed by it. Um, the, the days, the 24 hours, the night and the day. Matthew 5, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we see this idea a bit of common grace, right? The sun falls on everybody, believer and unbeliever, the rain. What about tornadoes that kill people, hurricanes that devastate? Still part of God's plan? Absolutely. Absolutely. We call them acts of God. Acts of God. <laughs> Are these natural occurrences? Yes. Are they freak accidents? No way. No way. All right, so we talk about those things that are not alive, and now we talk about animals, those things that are alive. They, animals, all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up, you open your hand, they are satisfied with good. Let me jump down to Matthew 10. Are not sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Again, every little detail is governed by God. That's absolutely fascinating. Every little detail, every little sparrow... And then we just talked about um, what is maybe assumed as seemingly random or chance events. And again, is anything really random or chance? Again, may, by your perspective, you may say yes, but what is true, what we read in Scripture, what we know now is nothing is random. Nothing is by coincidence. Proverbs, a lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here on item number four because this really gets at the, the heart of it. Events fully caused by God. Again, this idea of first cause and effect and fully caused by the creature. The second cause as well. So you're, you're getting at this, again, this intersection of God, cause and effect, and man, secondary cause and effect, and, and how that comes together. And we're going to see this parallel between these two passages. One is talking about Joseph, a very familiar passage, but a great depiction of this, um, um, this bringing together these two elements, if you will, of God and man. And then the other one will be on Jesus. So can someone read Genesis 50, that first uh, passage for me? When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. All right, good, thank you. All right, someone or a couple of you just talked to me about this, this episode. We've been talking about, again, 
this idea of, of God's sovereignty, right? His declared will. Um, nothing is by random, and yet all things work together for good. Um, there are people involved here that have made choices that affected Joseph's life. So just, just talk to me about that. What, what are you seeing based on the discussion we just talked about? Just pick at it. His brothers sinned, didn't they? Did that have an effect on Joseph? It did, but God didn't cause that. Bingo, right? God, God is not the author of sin. He doesn't cause sin. All right, but his brothers made a choice. So we know down here God had a plan, right? He had a purpose for what was going to happen. So when we backtrack in the story, we see this evolution of what has happened to Joseph. And, and any of us would be like, Lord, really? Right? It's just phenomenal. But his brothers sinned. They, they had sinful motives. Okay? And what happened to Joseph throughout this period? A whole lot of stuff, right? What what could be Joseph's demeanor during all of this? Bitterness. Bitterness? Frustration, discouragement, right? But love that. Don't you love that at the very end? Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, for what purpose? In order to bring it about this present result, to preserve, preserve Many people alive. So I talked about this. God had this purpose at the end. He knew there was going to be a famine. And, and he purposely orchestrated all of Joseph's life events to put him at that place at the right time. With those skills. With those skills. Like every bad thing that he went yep. through essentially prepared him to be Pharaoh's second in command. Absolutely. And, and for what purpose? To preserve the people at that time. All right? Miss Grace. I was just going to say, the really interesting part is not just that God allowed Joseph's brothers to sin by selling him in the first place. God prevented Reuben from doing a good thing and saving Joseph's life. He excellent point. He made sure that Joseph got sold before Reuben had a chance to save him. Yeah, excellent point, right? But I, I love the point you also made. Going through all of this, what, what is the Lord doing with us? We're building experiences. We're building wisdom. We're building gifts or, or expounding on the gifts the Lord has given us, all in preparation for what he needs at that point. Ms. Kareem. It's a little bit off that, but um, I was just struck again by what it says here. Do not be, so they're asking for forgiveness, and then he says, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And then I was just thinking, when we don't forgive someone, mm. are we acting like we're in God's place? Like, he's sovereign over forgiveness and over that aspect. So when we can forgive someone, are we putting ourselves in God's place? Yeah, yeah, excellent point. Good. All right, so this is the story of Joseph. We all know it. And again, the purpose was to, to save, I'll call it a limited number of people at that time. All right, now let's go to the next passage. Uh, Jessica, would you read that for me? Mm -hmm. Israel, listen to these words. This is the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you know through cross by the hand of God the Son and put him to death. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose and destiny to occur. All right, thank you. So the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, um, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, right, to, to be in that place at that time to make sure that that happens, that Jesus would die on the cross. For what people? Right? A redemptive plan for all. Right? So Joseph saved a few. That was the purpose. And here Jesus is the redemptive plan, God's redemptive plan for all. Great, great parallel there. Any other questions on, on, on that parallel or, or those two passages? I think those really hit home uh, this, this idea of God and man working together, but God's ultimate purpose coming to fruition. And I think an important reminder for us as we, as we travel through time. So for example, me standing here today, I can trace back the linkage of my entire life, my career, and the experiences I got, the training I got, um, both I'll call it secular and biblical, to
to be here standing before you today. I can trace it all the way back. And I think it's important as we're going through situations, we may not understand what the Lord is doing at this point in time. But when you get over here, you can look back and say, ah, I see it now, Lord. And we have to be, we have to be content in the moment. Right? We have to be content and rest in God's sovereignty. And knowing that all this is working together. But like we said, not for my glory, not for my good purpose, but for God's glory. Always have to have that eternal perspective. Alan. Both of these um, are pretty good examples, excellent examples of this relationship between man's will and God's will. Uh, Yes, man has a will. Man makes choices. Often they're sinful choices. But the fact that those that man's will is not independent and ultimately sovereign Mm. is illustrated by the fact that there's accountability there. Who is God accountable to? Nobody. Who is man accountable to? God. So it's just the... When when we say the word will, we have to kind of keep in mind whose will are we talking about? Is it a will that's unchecked, unbounded, unaccountable? Or is it a will that is? Yeah, that's a great reminder. That's how we started, right? We're in the context of God's sovereign will. And Grace, you kind of highlighted it. Even though Reuben was making choices, was God in his concurrence working through Reuben to make sure his his declared will happens, right? So excellent. Excellent reminder. Reuben still didn't stand up to his brothers. If Reuben had really wanted to do the right thing, yeah. then he wouldn't have let his brothers try to solve it. Sure, there was sin abounding. Reuben didn't know that they were going to solve it. Reuben was going to throw him in the pit. But Reuben convinced them to not kill him straight away. But that's not the same as, like, don't throw your little brother down into the pit. The the problem is is that there's still sin in my life. All right, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yes. But why God chose Judah's sin? Not Reuben. What's the reason? Oh, because Reuben God chose God chose <laughs> Judas, right? Yeah. Judas. Judas. Uh, you're talking That's about the yeah, part yeah. of the disciples. I know. No, I mean the Reuben. No, Ruby is Judas. First brother, but God chose oh. Judas, right? That's well, the line, know. right? That's the tribe you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. but the because he's God. God should choose Reuben, but but. I, I told you. Yeah. I, go ahead. I told you. I told you. Yeah. It's because Reuben defiled his father's bed by sleeping with his concubines. Simeon yeah, yeah, and Levi went and chopped off a bunch of men and defiled them. Yeah. So Judah was the next yeah. one. So, so we can have lots of discussion. Why does God choose what he does, right? Ultimately, it's because God is God. And in, in accordance, we go back to you know the preservation of his order because it's aligned with his declarative will. So we, we can talk more about that offline, but ultimately it gets to because it's part of God's ultimate plan, his providence. Okay, is that fair? I just I want to make sure we leave time for some application at the end here. Um, happy to talk afterwards, though, if that doesn't make sense. All right, so we, we talk about um, man and all this, but and we talked about the inanimate objects, right? But there's also the nations, right? The nations are part of God's government, if you will, of how he's going to carry out. So I just want to cover one passage there, um, Daniel. Bob, would you mind reading Daniel 4? It's kind of in the middle of that block on page 90. This is the interpretation of King, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat by cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows upon whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, 
but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Great, thank you, Bob. All right, so this is King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Daniel come and was interpreting that dream. And basically the point here is, again, according to God's sovereign plan, nations rise and nations fall. Right? That's the point here. He is using the nations of the earth to, to orchestrate his plan, his continued plan of uh, redemption. We look at current events today, right? It's kind of lost the limelight in the news, but Ukraine still raging. What's happening there? Boy, watch closely what's happening in Israel, in Gaza, China. What about the U.S.? Right? None of this is random. None of this is by happenstance. God is orchestrating all of this. We can take great comfort and encouragement in that. It's easy to, to watch the news and say, oh my goodness, the world is falling apart. It might be, but it's according to God's plan. And nothing is out of His order. Absolutely nothing. All right, we talked about uh, the nations, inanimate objects, but really all aspects of our lives is this idea of concurrence. Psalm 139, we referenced that earlier. Your eyes have, been, have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Top of the page, Proverbs 16 the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The mind of man pl plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Moving down to 1 Samuel. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. Sometimes I think we take for granted um, the ability to have children. We, we time it out. Lord, when I get enough resources, when I'm in this situation, talking in the context of marriage, of course, um, you know, we're going to plan that out. And yet we, we can't assume the Lord, he directs that as well. Right, whether a woman will be barren or with child, all aspects of our lives. Last passage here, Philippians 2. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, all aspects of our lives, but that last verse, you see the role we play to work out our salvation. That's our sanctification process. We play a role in that. Daily making choices to either obey God's revealed will, His moral will, or to not. And then lastly, we talk about His government or His administration. God has a purpose in all that He does in the world, and He providentially governs or directs all things in order that they accomplish his purposes. And I'll just touch on, on Daniel 4 there. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? All right, all of that, again, working together providentially. You can see at the bottom there, we talked about these two words, right? God's moral or revealed will his clear commands to men, this can be disobeyed. We just talked about that. Versus God's governing or secret will, his declared will, what he ordains and decrees, this always comes to pass. And, and what we've just talked about is those two working together. A bit of a mystery, it's complex, but I think scripture is very clear on how that relationship works. All right, let's turn over the page and um, we got some, some time for discussion. And let's peel this one back a little bit, right in the middle of your page there. Why is it wrong to say that a biblical understanding of God's sovereignty means that man does only what God decrees, so man can't really be held accountable? Right? It takes the other extreme that says, well, if God is sovereign over everything and, and whatever he decrees is going to happen then we can't be accountable for our sin. How would you guys comment on that? Um, let's use some scripture if we can to, to back up our thoughts. It goes on top 
for sure for the glory of God. So all men are sinners, so you cannot justify yourself in front of God. So when we discern, it's be destroyed. If we are alive, some of them we are alive is for the mercy of God, but not for our own merits. So no, we cannot justify God. Yeah. Good. What else? This is this is important, all right? This brings it all back together. What we've been um, studying. We I, we oh, yes, please, please, no, thank you. Um, I'm thinking of the the passage in which um, Peter was preaching at the at the beginning of um, the beginning of the book of Acts, um, talking about it's it's the one that we that we went over uh, earlier on. On page eighty-nine, in which the the people were held accountable, Mm. Um, and so I think it's it's wrong to say that biblical understanding means that men can't be held accountable because obviously they're men are are held accountable. Yep. Can't be a good an accurate understanding of what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, We we mentioned earlier is. Is um, is God the author of sin? No, absolutely not. Right? Can God ever sin? Absolutely not. Does God allow sin to happen? He does, and it fits within His His plan to orchestrate His purposes. Um, does God allow man the ability to choose to either obey His revealed will or not? Christians as well. Absolutely, right? It's in the boundary, as Pastor Allen said. It's in the, the context or the, the boundary of God's will. But he absolutely gives us opportunity to make a choice. Um, but he knows our choice. Yeah? <laughs> yes, he does. So I think we, we should not be afraid. God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. This is not something that he's making us, us happen. It's something that in yeah. eternity he already knows, he already planned, he already designed. And yeah. we really yep. submit to that. I think we cannot feel that we have some kind of, I don't know, understanding or word or decisions here. Yeah. And we also need to understand what it is to be a sinner. All of us are sinners. And God's made us be apart from God. When Adam and Eve sin, he just can destroy everything and said, let's start over. Yeah. But he loved his creation and he decided let anybody, he knows already all of that. The plan of salvation and all of these things that are happening from Joseph from the beginning to now is all according to his redemption plan. Mm-hmm. And this is amazing because he loves us and he decided to work a plan to make us, to restore our things again. But I think the difference, but why God? Harden, harden, Pharaoh's heart, and then about the Job's case. Job didn't do anything wrong, but mm-hmm. God gave, and then so God hardened the Pharaoh's heart. This one, and then the Habak, but David, David sinned, you know, and the two kinds of sin. Yeah. So uh, you you mentioned um, the case of Job. Let let me read because I did want to read a snippet from that from again from Grudem. In the story of Job, though the Lord gave Satan permission to bring harm to Job's possessions and children, like you were talking about, and though this harm came through the evil actions of the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans as well as a windstorm, yet Job looks beyond those secondary causes with the eyes of faith sees it all as from the hand of the Lord. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Old Testament author follows Job's statement immediately with the sentence, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job had just been told that evil marauding bands had destroyed his flocks and herds, yet with great faith and patience in adversity, he says, The Lord has taken away. Yet Job does not blame God for the evil, or say that God had done wrong. 
He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. To blame God for evil that he had brought about through secondary agents would have been to sin. Job does not do this. Scripture never does this, and neither should we. So again, this idea that, that God does not sin, but uses these secondary causes, right? So Job did absolutely nothing wrong. Yet, and he recognized that this was part of God's plan, yet not the sin part of it, right? But how do we, you know, on the comments that have been made, um, how do we give me a verse or, or a chapter even um, that shows we are without excuse? Hint, hint. Yes? Well, I wasn't going to use that one. Okay, yeah, but pick another one. I was thinking about this whole accountability before God, and I thought of, well, I came up with 2 Corinthians 5.10, okay. where it says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we can't say that we're not going to be held accountable for our actions clearly exactly. by this verse. Yeah, yeah. Um, Romans everybody, 1. Yeah, hold on everybody. one second. Hold on one second. Romans 1. What, what's it say there? We are without excuse, right? There is no one without excuse. And, and so these, these passages are helpful when, when you might get a question that says, okay, I, I hear you're saying God is sovereign, but that must mean that we're not accountable either. Okay? So you can go back to passages like this in Romans 1. Pass around. I was going to talk back on, on Job, but I think somebody else had a... No, you're up. Getting back to Job. Yep. Uh, the interesting thing, for me anyway, is the problem with Job's friends mm-hmm. was that they thought it was all about God's justice. It had to be something just um, uh, Job did wrong. It's all yes. about justice, God's justice. And a lot of what they say about God's justice is right, but they completely missed the point. The point of, of what was happening there was God's sovereignty. Mm. And they it just escaped them completely. Yeah. It's all about and, and when God speaks to Job, it's all about God's sovereignty. Yes. Yeah. Good. Um, let's see, you know, we so, talked about uh, yes. So God judge everybody in every elected people our acting. Mm-hmm. Not only judge to the only only heaven and hell. So to, Unbeliever, believer, all, all, everybody's acting. Everyone will go through a judgment yeah, time. Judge, yeah, everybody, yeah. Member, yeah, and we will, so good, so good point. We will all be held accountable, right, uh-huh. at, at some point in time. And again, we know that's part of God's full plan. So good, good. Um, we talked about Joseph and his brothers, right, um, how that all happened, and, and they were accountable for their actions. Um, Cain and Abel. Right? They, they, it's not explicit, but it is assumed that both of them knew how to present the sacrifice to the Lord. And Cain disobeyed. Right? And he was held accountable for his sin. Um, we talk about maybe actions we need to take. So Ephesians 4, we're held accountable to put off the old self, to renew our mind, and to put on the new self. Right? We talked earlier about conducting ourselves in fear, to work through your salvation. We will be held accountable for our actions. So good. Any other? Pastor Allen, please. The first example of this is right at creation. When God created Adam and Eve, he gave, actually even before he created Eve, he explained how things were to Adam. He says, I've provided for you, you can eat from all these things, but there's this one restriction. And in the day that you disobey, you'll die. There's accountability there. Mm-hmm. There's choices. Yeah. There's accountability. Yeah, that's a great reference. And it's been that way. Ever, it, it's, it was that way before sin, and it's that way after sin. Yeah. Excellent point. To me, uh, the can sacrifice just. What's that? This grain thing. And then our Abel sacrifice sheep. That's why God chose Abel because he sacrificed right. sheep, ram. That's right. You think of all, all Cain's sheep or 
Yeah, again, I, I, I don't think it's implicit in the word, but um, I think we understand that those two brothers would have been taught, right, what is acceptable to the Lord, and Cain chose not to give what was acceptable, period, dot, right? And, and that's why he was held accountable for that. Good, all right, let's go down to the application. I just want to highlight uh, number A and get your feedback on this. Is it comforting to understand God's providence? Do you think of his providence in terms of how you benefit from it or how it serves God's ultimate purposes? Anyone want to be transparent and uh, truthful here? I will, but go ahead. <laughs> um, I think the first... I'm sorry, but the first thought is for my own comfort. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, it's very comforting. But then there's a comfort not just that God is working on my behalf in his sovereignty, but that he's going to take even my mistakes and he's going to redeem them. He's going to use them for his glory. Nothing, I can't mess up so much that his sovereign will is going to be persuaded. I know that he's accomplishing things. I know his promises will hold true, which is very comforting when I'm faithless or when I'm sinning and struggling. I know that he's working in me to accomplish, you know, all things. And I just, so his sovereignty is comforting in that way and in knowing that he's going to be glorified no matter how weak I am or, um, even, you know, I can try as hard as I can, but that isn't, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to mess up, and I know that he's still going to accomplish his good will. Yeah, good. Millie. Also, in uh, 145, um, verse 14, it says that the Lord sustains all who fall and raise up all who are bowed down. And to me, we have a, a sovereign. Um, probably God because he while we going through changes he's working on us he's making us his own in his own way and to have a God that correct us and he never gives up until we learn that lesson he tells us in advance, don't harden our hearts. Mm. And he only give us what's good for us. Even if it's trials, it's a reason for it. Everything he does is a reason for it. Mm. And to do like he said in verse 14, the Lord sustained all who rise up all who are bowed down, faith, belief, knowing that with him all things are possible. We are here to serve him, mm -hmm. not ourselves. Mm -hmm. He is our creator. He knows everything about us. He's tell, he tells us in Psalm 139. We can't get away from it. So, we should be very careful when we read the scriptures as to what God wants of us. We owe him everything. Mm. Everything. Amen. Amen. And that's why he asks for our heart. So he can give us understanding as to what we should be doing. Yeah. For him. Yeah. Amen, Millie. Thank you. Great point. Anybody else on this this question here, right? Uh, do we look at it as benefiting us or ultimately God's purposes? I think the when I think of the Bible, everything God said, do not worry and mm -hmm. thanks everything. Yeah. Peer, light of the world. But then when I think of ah, why God said, do not worry, good for us, and then why thanks everything, put everything. Uh, that's my opinion. But uh, I tell you for us. Then, but when I do that, God, that's what I thought about. Ah, for this. yeah. You know, it's um. <laughs> we know. 
Yeah, we know that truth, and, and to Millie's point, we have to have this mindset. It's hard to practice sometimes, though, isn't it? Um, yeah. Miss Kareem, were you going to add? Just, I was going to say that, um, yes, there's the comfort we receive from it, but um, knowing that God is working all things, I think about, um, like, I love missionary biographies, and I think of the various martyrs, the people who have gone through persecution and suffering and a lot of things, and knowing that God is going to be glorified has to be such a great comfort, even though your life is going away. Even, yeah. even in your own suffering and the loss of life and um, the things that you're enduring, maybe there's never going to be a resolution there, but you know that God is going to be glorified, and there's a great comfort yep. in that, to endure and persevere um, in the face of yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I'll just close kind of pulling on that thread. I, I think I would encourage you all, you know, as we go through life, I, I can look at where I'm at now work-wise, let's say, and I can see how the Lord has brought me through experiences and training and trials and tribulations, and it's a blessing. I'm, I'm blessed with where I'm at, and it's almost like my whole life has been preparing me for where I'm at right now. There, there's goodness in that. Right, and yet always bringing it back to the perspective of ultimately it's for God's purposes. Yes, you have blessed me, but how am I fulfilling? You know, uh, Pastor Dan's passage uh, or sermon last week. Right, what are we doing with the talents, the stewardship that we've been given? Because it's ultimately for God's purpose. So bringing those together, yes, we're blessed, and we can recognize that blessing. How the Lord has orchestrated our lives, even the trials and tribulations. Right, those are all bringing us to a point that where he wants to bring us in our sanctification. And yet it's ultimately for his purpose. Keeping that perspective is important. Okay. All right. We're out of time. Let me close in prayer.